It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast, the NBA Finals edition. I'm Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of Pro Basketball Talk, coming to you from San Francisco, where the Toronto Raptors just wrapped up their first NBA title. Joining me, Dan Feldman from NBC Sports, who was at the games in Toronto to help break this all down. And hey, why are we wasting time? Let's bring in Dan Feldman to break this all down. How's it going today, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. You know... I think with this finals, it almost feels like you kind of have to start with the Warriors' injuries and the the just the level of exhaustion that was around this team. You saw it. I saw it last night. More than just physically, this team just looked like after five years of runs to the finals, they were just tired. Mentally tired, emotionally tired, physically tired. They were just kind of worn down. They were. I think we're doing a disservice to the Raptors by starting this way, though. That's the true. Raptors earned this. Everything you're saying is true, and it was part of the series, and definitely worth talking about. But I, yeah, I think if we start with it, we're diminishing what the Raptors accomplished. Fair enough. I mean, look, Toronto. It started with you know everybody calls it a gamble. Some people in Toronto say it wasn't. I, I think it was a gamble in the sense that bringing in Kawhi Leonard and trading away the best player in franchise history, the only guy who's backed that city in a way that, you know, when others wanted out, uh, DeMar DeRozan was incredibly popular, and it would have been safe to keep him. They would have been good. They would have won 50-something games and made the playoffs again, but they rolled the dice on 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 going all in, on winning a championship, and that takes a certain amount of boldness from ownership and not just, I mean, Messiah Jury gets this, but ownership had to sign off on this. I mean, from the top down, they, they really rolled the dice on this season. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that was a real gamble. It was a smart gamble. Uh, I mean, initially it would be described as a gamble. Then there was a pushback of, well, was it really a gamble? Kawhi Leonard's so great. And, you know, even if he left, he'd still get the cap space by getting DeRozan's contract off the books. Oh, no, no, this was a huge gamble. Because the Raptors were so good. Yes, they were maybe getting a little bit tired of you know, winning 50-some games and losing in the second round. But that sure beats winning 40-some games and losing in the first round, or maybe even worse. Kawhi Leonard barely played last year. We had no idea yeah. where his health was. Like This was a huge risk. Uh, there, was, there were different ways it could work out because of the contract situation. But whenever you disrupt a team that was so good, that is a risk for Masai Ujiri. That was not going to look good on him if Kawhi Leonard uh, was hurt throughout the year, not really interested in being in Toronto, they didn't win that much, and then he left. Yes, there'd be a chance to build something up new years from now. But over those years, this was not going to look good. So yes, this was absolutely a gamble. Uh, The one thing I disagree with you on, 
greatest player in Raptors history is Kyle Lowry. He is now, though. I think that DeRozan was probably the most popular guy, though. I mean, he was the he was the one beloved by fans. He might still get a number retired up there. He was a multi-time All-Star. So I, I, Lowry, Lowry becomes that, though, now, certainly with this finals. And with a, by the way, a tremendous Game 6. The first eight points of Game 6 and the first 11 points for his team, he came out and were and. I was just like, oh, this could be the supernova. You know, every once in a while, Kyle Lowry is one of those guys who has the talent and skill to just go off and take over a game. I'm like, is he really going to do that now? That would be insane. Uh, he still finished with, I think, 26, but he set a tone early in Game Six that that I think almost took the Warriors aback a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he has not generally throughout his career been good enough in the playoffs. That is true, but it hasn't been as bad as some of his critics claim. He still had some good playoff moments. It just hasn't been quite enough, quite up to the level he's often shown through the regular season, a longer sample. But this wasn't completely out of character, and it's uh, you, you got to feel good for him after how the previous game ended with Draymond Green blocking his shot. That, you know, that could have been his moment. That could have been his playoff redemption, and it, it by a fingertip. It didn't happen, and then he gets this one. He gets this one. Kawhi Leonard gets redemption and a a chance to tell all his critics who thought he might not be back all the way here or that he you know he was pushing back. That was about the most open I've seen Kawhi uh, after after this win, where he was really talking about how the idea that he didn't want to play for the Spurs, or basically the idea that he didn't want to play basketball, that he cared about all this other stuff more, really bothered him. And it gave this gave him a chance to show it. He uh, look, he was the best player in the series. He was the Finals MVP, unless you know, not only he officially won it, and everybody thinks he should have, except Hubie Brown, apparently. Um, I don't. I I think that he. It's weird. I, somebody asked me if he was the best player in the world now, and I'm like, well, I thought it was Kevin Durant, but now Kevin Durant's going to be unfortunate. You know, we'll get into that, but he's going to be out for at least a season. He can be there, um, but I think I'm curious, like, if this is what you get the rest of the way, too, with Kawhi Leonard, which is 60 to 65 games a season, a lot of load management, and then a guy who can dominate in the playoffs. And that's probably, uh, well, no question it's very valuable. That might be enough for him to be the best player in the world because he's going to be so good in those 60-some games Yep. That, that his, you know... That it matters, right? It matters if a player can play 82 games. That makes him more valuable if he can. And if Kawhi Leonard can't, that is a knock on his value. But he's probably going to be good enough in those 60-some games that his team is going to make the playoffs. And when they get there, you get this version of Kawhi, and that matters a lot, too. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, it's hard to pick against Kawhi right now. I mean, we all forget about LeBron James because he wasn't in the playoffs, but yeah. it could still be LeBron at I, at different points, uh, in 2017, when Kevin Durant outplayed LeBron in the NBA Finals, when uh, Durant, you know, was and still is obviously younger than LeBron, I figured, that, you know, it had changed. Yeah, yeah, or, and it it just hadn't. It just hadn't. Uh, LeBron proved over the long run. Every time I've thought somebody has overtaken it from LeBron, I thought Steph Curry when he won back to back MVPs had overtaken LeBron, especially again as a younger player. He didn't. So every time I think somebody's overtaking LeBron, I'm, I'm proven wrong. But yes, if you ask me who the best player in the world is right now, and maybe I'm just being a prisoner of the moment, but I'm going to say Kawhi Leonard. I'm with you. I think that, that that makes it interesting heading into this summer. 
I don't know what you've heard or something. The NBA chattering classes are all over the map on this one, right? Like they just, what Kawhi Leonard is thinking, nobody really knows um, what he plans to do. He is obviously a free agent this summer. I I had the sense that he might just sign a short term, you know, especially with the title, sign a one plus one, you know, stay in Toronto for a year or two with Kyle Lowry, who's not young. Um, you know, how much more Serge Ibaka are you going to get? Are you, I don't know if they're going to bring back Marcus Gasol, but basically try to run this back for another year or two, chase another ring, and then they're going to have to rebuild, and, and Leonard will go to Los Angeles or wherever he wants to go. But I don't know. Like, if, if you told me Leonard goes, yep, I proved myself, now I'm going to the Clippers, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be totally shocked right now. I have no idea what's, what's coming next for him. But I, I kind of want him to stay. I kind of want to see where this team goes from here. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much idea either. I, I think a, a couple of considerations as far as that short-term deal with his injury history. Can he really do that? That's a good uh, question. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm not ruling that out, but I think that's a, a factor. Uh, and then with the Wizards' interest in Masai Ujiri, is would Kawhi Leonard go back to Toronto without Ujiri? I mean, Masai did such a great job of building this team yep. uh, and, and gaining Kawhi's trust over the year. That would change a lot. And I don't know if Masai is going to go to to Washington, but I do know you can see that the Wizards, by waiting this out, uh, waiting out this long playoff run by Toronto, the Wizards think they have a real chance. They could have hired somebody else. They've taken a lot of criticism, uh, especially locally, for not hiring anybody yet. They must believe that this is realistic. Whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. Whether they have that based on any sound uh, intel, I don't know. But they definitely seem to believe it. That, that is very true. And, I mean, where do the Raptors go from here? Obviously, you try to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. Aside that, uh, do you, how many of these guys do you want to bring back? Do you, you just try to run it back for a year? Um, or And ultimately, I mean, you start thinking about the future. The, the young guy they've got is Pascal Siakam, who had a real like 26 points in another really good game six. He was a little up and down through the playoffs. I, I love what Nick Nurse did and said. He... he by the way, with Siakam, he benched him the final nine minutes of game uh, five. And when asked about it, he was really blunt. He goes, I didn't like his defensive effort. I told him later, you know, I didn't. He wasn't getting down in a crouch. He was kind of in his own head. He wasn't working hard enough on that on that end. And that's why he didn't play. Well, he came out. I mean, first possession, he was all over his all over Curry, bodied down up, bodied him up down in the crouch, just making it hard. And I'm like, ah, oh, see, somebody got the message. You got through to the young kid and took away the minutes. He had a good game, and obviously he's going to turn into, I don't know if he's a really franchise cornerstone guy, but I think all-star level guy potentially for a long time. I, I don't know if I believe personally this is true, but if I were the Raptors, the case I would be making to Kawhi Leonard is, all right, listen, we can't be in California. We're never going to match that, but we can offer you more money. You know, we, We're a winner, and if you want a co-star, there is not the Clippers – the Knicks, they can't promise you that there's go- they're going to give you a teammate who's going to be good as good over your next contract as Pascal Siakam will be. Pascal's a rising star. Uh, I, you know, maybe the Clippers can get somebody like that of that caliber yeah. in addition to Kawhi. It is possible, but there is no guarantee that they get anybody as good as Siakam's going to be. No, I think it's a really good point. I, I think that there's not. I like the way that Clipper team is built, and they're very high on Shea Gilgis Alexander. But is he going to be that good? Like, I, you know, I don't know. He's a, he's he's had a really nice rookie season, but that's very different than saying he's going to continue on that arc for multiple years. Um, Fred Van Vliet uh, had a really, you know, 
obviously, I think all credit to his kid, right? I mean, he, he got so annoyed with that line of talking. <laughs> and I don't blame him. No, exactly. Um, he turned his uh, – he, 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 he had a slump in the playoffs. He turned that around and came back, played really well. Marcus Gasol added – he had a rough game six. Marcus Gasol, it was rough to keep him out there, but overall with this team, his passing and, and just some of the stuff he brought, and it just kind of – Look, he's a big body that generally gets in the way defensively. He knows how to be where he needs to be. He's not quite as sharp as his, you know, uh, defensive player of the year um, season, but he still is a big body who knows where to be and when to be and gets in the way and just kind of plays smart basketball. And it all melded well for them. Yeah, he's he stayed just ahead on the curve of okay, he's getting smarter and smarter as a player, and his athleticism is declining. He's staying just ahead where he's still a a good, helpful, productive player. Um, I'm curious what this series would have looked like for him if the Warriors were healthy enough yes. to use their death lineup because that lineup is built to exploit slower centers like him. Now, most slower centers don't have his defensive intelligence and don't have uh, the good defensive teammates that he does who can cover for him in some ways. But I do think it would have been much tougher for him. But even, even when the Warriors tilted smaller they couldn't go all the way like they would want to even when they went that direction and toward that style this all held up well now maybe you couldn't have done it against the fully weaponized version but the lesser rickety version that the warriors could put out there he did hold up just fine yeah and that's i mean that ultimately is the question those warriors played so many centers off the floor over the years and they couldn't do it in this series but that was i think like you said, it, that just became more about the injuries and who they had available. Uh, Kevon Looney played through that fractured collarbone um, and gave everything he could, and they needed him out there because DeMarcus Cousins, actually, I guess another decent game. He had to score a lot, basically. Like He had to have good offensive games in the finals because he was they were targeting him on defense. They were just going at him on those pick and rolls. And that was another part of, I think, game six, but I really think that was another part of the series. The Warriors built this dynasty. They built their five-year run on defense, and their defense wasn't as good this year. And in this series in particular, by the end, they couldn't stop the Raptors. They just had to outscore them and hope that that was good enough. Yeah, absolutely. In a, in a very micro sense, why why did the Warriors go away from the zone? I don't know. Uh, that, seemed, that seemed to be working to keep Cousins close to the basket uh, rather than having him get dragged out on the perimeter where, where the Raptors really did exploit him. And, you know, that's not that was never Cousins' greatest strength, but it's obviously very tough for him as he rushed back from his own injury. Uh, but I, I didn't understand why they, they went away from the zone. And, you know, I don't know if you want to play a zone a really long time under ideal circumstances, but these weren't ideal circumstances. Uh, uh, you know, the Warriors were desperate to figure something out defensively. They found something that worked for a while and then, just kind of went away from it, it seemed. I, I didn't see a, the Raptors figure it out all of a sudden. No, I think that they might have been able to, but, you know, again, flashing guys in the middle and then shooting over the top and all, all the basic stuff of how you attack a zone, but they they didn't need to. They kept, they said they, that they said, that I think it threw them off for a little bit and gave the Warriors a chance and kept them around, but they kept scoring. I mean, there was still a high-level offensive game, a 116.5 offensive rating for the night for Toronto. And that, I, but I think that the, the the fact that they had to go to the zone brought, goes back to what I was talking about at the start of this, which is Steve Kerr. You, Steve Kerr by the end was just throwing out anything he could think of that would stick. Because his line, I mean, uh, Kevin Durant's down, Clay Thompson's down, um, Kevon Looney's hampered. 
Andre Iguodala's got the calf. I mean, on and on down this list, Marcus Cousins doesn't move all that well. Well, just injury after injury, they just ran out of options and bodies against a very good Raptors team. Yes, and now we can talk about the Warriors injury. <laughs> thank, thank you for indulging me on starting with the Raptors. I mean, this was such a great accomplishment. Oh, it is. And look, how big, I mean, you know what? The joy in that city, the joy of the fans, you know, you could see it on TV, but I'll tell you, man, there was in the arena last night behind the uh, podium where they were handing out the award, there were 300, give or take, 200, 300 Raptor fans who were just going nuts, and the joy on them was so genuine. It was just great to see. Yes, uh, and, and I'm sure all the Raptors fans very much appreciated Toronto winning this one because the feelings going into a Game 7 uh, oh. for this franchise, for all the playoff disappointments they've had, for blowing a 3-1 lead in this year, I mean, it would have just been pins and needles for days leading up. Uh, it would have been very tough for them to handle. The Warriors' injuries. Do we want to... Um, I don't, I don't want to say place blame because I don't think we know enough to do that. Uh, do you have some uh, skepticism about the quality of the Warriors training staff? That all, Not just that the players came back, uh, and that's its own discussion, but just the fact that all these injuries happened. I don't know that I have a ton of skepticism about that directly, as much as something I want to be writing about in the next day or so for uh, and, and started to research a little for NBC was, and, and you and I discussed this, to me it seem, it feels more like a long-term fatigue thing. It's it's the five years of runs of 100-plus games, and Steve Kerr talked about this too, about, you know, and, and all of that adding up. Clay Thompson's playing on a bad hamstring, so when he comes down awkwardly, he can't quite stabilize the way he might normally if that muscle were healthy. I mean, there's, there's you know, and, and land the same way. So that leads to the ACL, um, you know, obviously the Kevin Durant returning from injury. And, and it's impossible to draw straight lines here, right? That's, that's, I mean, part of the problem is we can say, oh, they you know, shouldn't have done this or should they have done that. But I, I think that for a lot of teams – Outside of, you know, hey, can we hire Alex McKechnie away from Toronto? Um, I think a lot of, of what you're going to see is a lot of teams are going to take away even more of the, you know, quote-unquote load management or what, whatever you want to call it. And the, Look, the Warriors certainly did a lot of that, but keeping their guys fresh and trying to keep their legs fresh over the long season, um, that I, I think is going to be one of the big takeaways, that these guys are going to look at this and say, man, we've got to do better to help reduce injuries especially if we're a team that makes playoff runs by resting these guys. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then that's going to lead to larger questions of, is the season too long? Well, it is. Is it worth playing 82 games if... I'm not sure it is. Um, the longer the season, the more affordable tickets are. And I think that is important. I'm not rushing to shorten the season uh, where, where the supply of tickets would shrink and the price would go up and it would push out fans. It's already so expensive to go to an NBA game, however. Yeah, but yeah, I see what you're saying there. <laughs> More so where you are than where yes, I am. That's true. That's true. And you can, have, you know, uh, there's. I mean, I guess there's technically, if 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 you're willing to see Milwaukee, well, Milwaukee's good now. I used to use them as the kind of the punchline. If you're willing to see Orlando on a Tuesday night, um, 
you might be able to get a more affordable seat than other <laughs> some other games. But, um, but what type of if they shorten the season, those are the types of games, especially that they will cut those like yep. Tuesday night games. It'll probably be more concentrated on yep on uh, higher profile nights. No, absolutely. So I think I, I think that is a legitimate concern. Um, to pricing out the average fan is a look, you know. The t- it's an interesting, you've got to keep that fan base just because, without getting too macro here, the TV viewing habits and, and the TV money that fuels this league right now is going to evolve and change. Uh, just mm-hmm. with, the, with the viewing habits of younger generations and streaming and already people are buying, you know, pieces of games at the end and what have you. As those viewing habits change and that TV money probably lessens a little, by, maybe not in overall numbers, but by percentage, and and it comes in different forms. I think you know, there's a lot of questions about how you keep that fandom where it is, but that is that is not just an NBA question. That's a sports question, a professional sports question in, in the United States. So, um, And it's way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you take away from the, for this for the Raptors? So do, you, do you lay blame a little bit on their training staff or, or not? The Warriors? The Warriors, I mean, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of questions. These are a lot of injuries that stack up. It's hard to say, right? You never know when somebody's going to get injured anyway. Uh, I'd say the team that uh, has the training staff that's faced the most criticism in recent years is the Pelicans, and that was basically entirely based on just the number of injuries that happened. Uh, There was some other circumstantial evidence, too. Maybe they were too football-focused, or certain players were, were not happy with how things went. Uh, and maybe we'll hear, not the football focus, but that some of the Warriors aren't as happy with how things went. But the best indicator we have is when just the number of injuries like this stack up. And maybe it's just bad luck. I'm not yeah. sure. But it is, I think, something that the Warriors very seriously need to look into this summer. Uh, they, there should be a lot of introspection in the Bay about how this happened and if they can change practices to prevent it going forward i think that's a really good point i think that in this series it's really hard to say oh steve kerr should have done this or they could have done more of x y or z to make this a series just because every time you know look if kevin durant can play 12 minutes in the series then you've got to play alfonso mckinney a lot of minutes and he's not that good you know he's just not the same you know he's not that good he's just not you know especially and i say not that good by the way in a Look, if I'm, again, playing him during the regular season, that's one thing. But as you go up the ladder in the playoffs and you get to the highest level of the final, you know, a basketball with these finals, guys that you could lean on during the season can't play minutes anymore. Alfonso McKinney is one of those guys. When he's out there, when Jonas Jerebko was out there, um, even Quinn Cook to a degree, although he can at least provide some shooting, it's just those are guys not ready for this stage, not prepared for the stage. And the fact that Steve Kerr didn't have a choice just opened the door for the Raptors, which, you know, they fully took advantage of. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about the, the Warriors depth. It was not no. good enough. Um, you know, that's, that's in general, a trade off you're going to make. If you want to have a star studded roster, it's harder to build depth. Uh, but the Warriors have also had, basically you get two major tools uh, for a team like this as a championship contender to build out depth. You get the mid-level exception, and you get your first-round pick. Uh, the last two years, the Warriors used their mid-level exception on Nick Young, which pretty much flopped. Yep. And DeMarcus Cousins, which was a big risk, um, and I thought a justifiable risk, 
you could argue whether that one worked out. Uh, they had already traded their 2017 first round pick. Uh, they took Jacob Evans last year. He was not a contributor this year. Uh, they did not trade a future first round pick to get somebody. I'm not sure who was available for that, but I generally believe that when you are a championship contender, you should focus so much on this championship contention window. It's so valuable to win a championship that, yeah, if you trade a future first-round pick years from now that ends up being a top 10 pick, who cares if it helps you win a championship in the short term? Uh, so I'm not sure the, the Warriors were proactive and savvy enough to, to focus on building out their depth so they'd be more prepared for a situation like this, especially on the wing. Because you have an yeah. all-time great tool with Draymond Green's ability to play center, if you don't have enough capable wings to put out a lineup like that, just because Kevin Durant got hurt, man, that is a not a great way to build. Yeah, but finding capable wings is a, a league-wide issue, right? I mean, that's, absolutely. That, that's, very that's, true. that's yeah. That's I mean, that's the, the Warriors are not the only team facing this. But you're right; they haven't. I mean, I guess they they did pretty well with Jordan Bell in the draft. Again, required to say this: Long Beach Poly's own Jordan <laughs> Bell. But I, I mean, he is a he's a perfect example of what I was talking about before. Though, look, that's a nice player who can give you minutes during the regular season. If you're doing a lot of Jordan Bell in the NBA Finals, he's not. He's not, you know, that's just not a, for, uh, a forum for him to be all that successful. So it, it, that depth really does come back to bite them. And that's, I think, one of the hard things of being in this championship team. You, you sacrifice a certain amount of depth for these stars. And when those stars couldn't go, they just didn't have, like you said, they just didn't have anyone behind them who could step up and, and fill that role in a, um, a decent way against, again, against a really good Raptors team. We can't sell that short. I mean, this is... You know, that what was left of the Warriors could have beaten a lot of teams in the NBA still, just not not the one they were up against. Um, but it, uh, if, if both teams were fully healthy, what do you think would have happened in this series? I, I, fully healthy? Um, I'd probably take Warriors in five, Warriors in six. I, I mean, I, I still think the Raptors were a really good team who could cause some problems, but I'm. And they played even maybe better than I had thought. But we'll never know. Like I think Kevin Durant solves a lot of the Warriors' half court defense. I mean, the Raptors' half court defense, not as much in Game Six, but um, certainly through most of this series, was genuinely spectacular. Just yes. quick rotations, shutting guys down. But Durant is the guy who, who unlocks that problem, right? I mean, that's part of why they won titles. With, well, again, the twenty seventeen eighteen Cavs team. I'm, you know, I'm not sure that team was beating anybody out of the West, but, um, but the year before, like Durant changes that equation just because from the 2016-17 team, you know, the 2016 team that lost in the finals to 2017, Durant just changes the equation of what you can do in the half court. And I think he would have changed it in this series. Uh, yes. Um, my answer to that question is I have no idea. And that is absolutely a compliment to the Raptors. Yeah. I think they are that good. And I know the Warriors when healthy are awesome. And I don't know who would have won this series. I don't know how it would have gone. I, you know, the Warriors would have been better. But it's not like these were close games for the most part. I mean, last night was a great close game. And you, you, know, you had the Warriors desperate and at home and inspired by Durant and uh, by the last game in the arena and all of that. And that was a close game. But in general, the Raptors really took it to Golden State throughout the series, except for when Durant was on the floor. Uh, and then it was incredibly competitive. Some of the best basketball I saw all year by any teams, uh, regular season and playoffs. And so, yeah, if they were fully healthy, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I think the other question for the Warriors now is is 
where do they go from here? I mean, the report's already out. They're going to try to max out Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant stays, I don't think it's for a five-year max. I mean, I still think he, if he, he's not going to opt in. He's going to, if he opts out and re-signs even a one plus one, he gets, I think it's an extra $6.7 million next year. That's, um, that's not much money to Dan Feldman, but for the rest of us, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of cash. So I think, um, I think he, even if he stays, um, he opts out and back in, but not long term. They'll max out Clay. He'll probably take it. Um, but they've got some real questions long term about. I mean, if if KD stays, I mean, what do you do with Draymond? Do you want to keep Draymond? I mean, like, I just where this roster goes from here long term is a real interesting question. So let's let's start with Durant. Do you think that the Warriors? would blink at giving him a one-and-one? One. I mean, knowing knowing that basically he, you're paying him to, to recover for a year and then you got no assurances beyond that, you know, at the max. Do you, do you think they would, would do that for him? I, probably, because I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Would you demand a two-plus-one? See, I, I mean, if I were the Warriors, I would try and talk to him about it, but man, uh, everything they say about how they care about players and given what Durant's talent is and the upside of potentially keeping him and showing how much you care about him. I, yeah. I, I would, I, I would do it, but I'm also not necessarily of the mindset that, that makes you a billionaire, right. To make you a team owner, yeah. uh, where, where you do make maybe more of those cold, ruthless decisions. Um, I don't know if I'd want to push him away, but, and I, especially after what happened, right. I mean, he sacrificed his body and probably changed the course of the rest of his career help this team win do you really want to throw him out into the cold now if he just wants to come back for one year to rehab with you like i i think it would be an interesting discussion i would hope the warriors would just pay him i think they should i think it's the right thing to do uh but that's not always how it how it goes as far as draymond green as you asked about uh he is right there as a co-captain on the team of players who i absolutely love how they play and think they're uh, underrated uh but I'm not sure I want to pay them on their next contract right there with Jimmy Butler. Yeah. By the way, if you're Kevin, I think the other question really quickly with Kevin Durant and and what we don't know is, does he want to come back? Does he want to? There was a moment where, and I'm not going to, since, since the, I will not name the media members I was sitting there with uh, during Steve Kerr's press conference pregame. And the first question was, have you, you know, have you talked to Kevin Durant (laughs) where things are? And his reaction was, I've texted with him, I've talked to people who talked to him, and I've called him. And uh-huh. that means he didn't, you know, he didn't talk to him. And we all kind of looked at each other like, did they not take the call? Um, right. there, there's a lot of people who, I mean, if you're going to assign blame, again, I, I'm not a fan of this necessarily, but there are people around the team who, um, or around the league, I should say, too, who, uh, when you ask him about that injury for Kevin Durant, it's the 12 minutes in he played in the first 14, not a short burst. The guy's been off for a month, and you're rolling him out there for 12 minutes in an NBA Finals game that fast. That that was a bigger contributor than anything else to to you know that that dramatic increase in workload was what led to this. If Durant believes that, he might not want to come back. He might choose to go rehab for a year with you know the Knicks or Clippers or wherever where, wherever he chooses to do that. Um, it's just something to think about, but yeah, I Can think I give you one more to think about yeah. along those same lines. Uh, how did we find out about Clay Thompson's injury? Yes. The Warriors put out a statement. The first way we found out is because Woj tweeted that Clay Thompson's agent, 
Uh, and it wasn't, you know, according to a source that was clearly Clay Thompson's agent, me straight up named Clay Thompson's agent, yep. uh, revealed the extent of, of the ACL injury. That made me wonder just a little bit like, oh, is uh, is Clay Thompson's side, like, not, are they wanting to put this out on their own? Are they wanting to to be separate from the Warriors a little bit on this? Uh, I, yeah. I didn't know if there was something there or not. I think that's a really good question. Yeah, um, but I, I, I've, I've always been under the impression Clay was going to stick around, um, especially now. Especially now, I think if they max him out, uh, it makes it n- interesting for them. By the way, just thinking short term in building this team, and we're talking about do you bring those guys back? Neither of those guys probably plays next year. ACLs of late have taken ten to eleven months for guys to come back from. Um, that you know, look, Kristaps Porzingis ruptured his Achilles a year ago, February, and he didn't play at all this season. Um, I don't know that we're going to see Clay next year, and probably not Durant. I know there, a lot of people are saying he won't, even if he tried to come back in nine, ten months, he'd basically be back at best. He comes back you know, a few weeks before the playoffs start and tries to, to perform, and I don't know if he's going to do that. Um, short term now for the Warriors, you got Draymond, you got Steph, and you got a lot of work to do to build out a roster that, that I mean, can they, is this a playoff team next year in the deep west? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you got to, so uh, it was during one of these finals games, they had a lineup out there, probably had Steph and Draymond, uh, I think it was the game Clay didn't play, and yeah. um, I can't remember if it was Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy said, like, this wouldn't be a playoff team in the west, and I thought, hmm, maybe, uh, you know, 48 wins was the lowest playoff team. Like, yeah, I'd have this team pegged for around that, mid to high 40s, maybe. And then uh, Kevin Pelton pointed out to me, well, do the Warriors exist in this scenario? Because then there's an open playoffs, but the ninth team in the West only won 39 games. So I, I think this is pretty clearly a playoff team still in the West. Obviously, there's still some, you know, teams yeah. can rise and fall. 39 is not necessarily going to be the bar every year. But if, if that's just our baseline from where it is this year, yeah, I think this is pretty clear a playoff team. I want to jump back to Clay Thompson real quick. Um, yes, it really seemed like the Warriors were going to max him out before this injury. And it comes to the same cold calculus we were talking about with Durant. Is there any chance that the Warriors try to get him for less now? Ooh. Especially because this could hurt Clay Thompson's market. Uh, he might, he might, you know, as much as he initially, before this injury, was thinking, okay, if the Warriors give me the max, I'll resign. If they don't, I'll have good options somewhere else, and, and you know, I can go look at those. He might not have quite as good options elsewhere anymore because of this injury, and maybe the Warriors try and take advantage of that with a lower contract offer. Or do you give him the max but try on those back ends to put some uh, Joel Embiid qualifiers in, right? Some uh, well, games played, minutes played type of thing to 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 hit that full number. Uh, sure, you can. Although uh, the way, especially for a team like the Warriors, the concern is going to be, you know, you you if it's the same setup as Joel Embiid, you either have him or you don't. And if you have him, he's at the full number and he's taxed at the full number. You don't get a a discount because he kind of meets the targets or kind of doesn't. He's either on your roster or he isn't. It just gives you an opportunity to get him off your roster, and that's a very extreme step. That's true. That is true. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Bob Myers has a lot of work to do going into next season, though. I mean, this is this is not going to be quite the same team, and, and again, we'll see what happens in free agency and what he's got, but this is a, 
I don't, it is the end of an era with this team. I don't think whatever the Warriors look like, even two years from now, it, it'll be different, right? It, it just is going to be a little bit different. I don't know that this is going to be the Warriors team, not so much in the 2020 playoffs, but 2021. I just I don't think they're going to look like this. I'm not. I don't know. Um, I mean, they might not. I I think it could be the end of the era for sure. Uh, I'm not sold it is. I think it is very possible that we look back at as this year as part of this current era. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. We'll 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 see. We'll see how that all shakes out. It's going to be. It all sets up for a wild summer, Dan. It's a, <laughs> we, <laughs> well, see, see, you mentioned Bob Myers has a lot of work to do. Uh, even if even if Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant both resign with the Warriors, they are not going to be championship favorites next year. They are and not so, already. Yeah. That means a lot of GMs around the league have work to do uh, to figure out because uh, the window is open now. A lot of teams were delaying because they were scared of the Warriors. Not the Rockets. Credit to the Rockets for not being scared. Uh, credit to the Raptors for not being scared. Mo- I'll even say most. A lot of teams were scared. Yep. There's no reason to be scared for next year at least anymore. Now, if Durant and Clay Thompson resign, uh, maybe there's a thought that okay. There's a one-year window, and then the the Golden State juggernaut will be right back in 2021. Uh, but to me, that might even be more fascinating to see how teams respond where they have one year in their perception to get a title in. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, by the way, I got a uh, an email this morning from a offshore sports book that I can't name for, but I'll say that um, they had listed the, the championship odds for next season, and yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks are on top. Actually, don't hate that pick. Nope. Uh, that's a they were, they were a very good team, and uh, the way the Raptors beat the Bucs, such a good team, is one of the, maybe even the biggest reason I thought the Raptors had a real shot. Now, I can't claim too much credit. I did pick the Warriors to win the finals, but I was very high on the Raptors and giving them more credit and more of a chance than most people did. It's because the Bucks were so good, and the Raptors had to rise to the occasion to beat Milwaukee in a way that the Warriors didn't with Portland. No, uh, there is something to that. They, they, the Raptors certainly were a battle-tested team coming out of the East um, to, to make it in a way that, oh, I guess the second round was really the tough round. I mean, and the Warriors, from the first moment in that series, um, you know, look, they started the Hampton Five, game one. We're not messing around with the, with the Houston Rockets. But they also, Steve Kerr shortened his bench, played his starters more minutes, uh, jumped them about five, seven minutes a game per guy, and... In Game Five, that's when Kevin Durant tweaks his calf, and and we all know what happens from there. So, um, yeah, it is going to be it is going to be a wild summer. Of course, we're all most excited, Dan, about the NBA regular season awards being finally handed out <laughs> June twenty fourth. They have got to fix that. Like, it's just nobody cares. By the it's after the draft, right before free agency starts, and with all due respect to Giannis, who will win MVP and what have you, deservedly so. Nobody cares at this point, man. Let them, let them give, go back to giving out the awards and let the guy get be given it in front of the home fans, man. Just uh, a lot. I'm a hundred percent with you. I don't care if they give in from the home fans. I'd like that. You just got to do it before the playoffs get so far underway because the regular season is just such a distant past already. And we still have the draft, which uh, leads me to another thing. I think I'm ready for the league to move the draft later in the summer. Yeah. Because because it's just so it's just so rushed now that okay the finals just ended like let's immediately have the draft no let's have some more time for speculation and talking about draft picks and letting that build a little bit I think that would be 
better for the league, although they probably would have to push back summer league too. So it adds complications. Yeah, it, I think that that becomes the challenge. It pushes a lot of that back. Although I heard, um, and I, I forget who I read now that said this, that, that they were told by some teams that they liked, the teams liked the idea of bumping up or you know, at finals end, start free agency June 21st or 25th or whatever you want. Do free agency and have yeah. the drafts six or eight weeks after free agency starts because then you, if you're building a roster, you do actually have a better sense of, of oh, hey, you know, I could use a little help on the wing. I might take, you know, I have this guy and this guy on the same tier, so I'm going to take the position of need a little more. Well, you don't necessarily know that right now. Sure, although I do think if teams get too far into drafting for need, uh, they're going to give themselves yeah. – they're more likely – to cause problems. I think drafting is hard enough already just identifying the best player if you try and figure out what you need, let alone, this is the other big problem, what you need right now might not be what you need by the time this young player is actually ready to contribute. Yeah, that's that's very true too. And that's, you know, you end up with the, hey, I don't need Michael Jordan. I've got Clyde Drexler <laughs> moment. And uh, that didn't necessarily work out for Portland. Um, with all no, due respect quite. to Clyde Drexler, who was a great player, but, you know. Sure. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for breaking down the finals. We will be uh, back next week with draft talk, draft talk, draft talk. <laughs> um, but only they, one week of it. Only one week of it. That's actual draft. I got to say that that's one thing the NFL, by the way, when they turn that whole draft and free agency into a whole second season. Now, granted, shorter season for their sport, but they have mastered turning that into a second <laughs> season in a way the NFL, NBA just has not figured out. So. Yeah, although the you know the NBA can't help but get a lot of it right because people are so interested in these things. There's going to be obsession and attention on it, no matter how it's okay. structured. By the way, did, did just randomly, and we didn't talk about this when we were talking about Masai, the fact that that got dropped, right? I mean, literally, Masai is on the podium, talking to ABC, collecting, collecting the hardware for his you know the Toronto Raptors winning the championship. And out comes Adrian Wojnarowski's tweet from, you know, like, which he clearly had gotten from good sources with the, you know, with the Wizards. Hey, they're going to offer him $10 million a year. Like, the timing of that felt uncomfortable. Do you think, I, I with the report, because I'm not bothered by the reporting of it, right? It's news when you have it available. You know, it seems very clear he had that information embargo. Oh, yes. And as soon as the embargo ended... He could use it, and so I don't. I don't blame Woj for using it. I think that's what you do as a reporter. I'm curious about the um, the timing from a wizard's perspective. Yep. I'm not sure. Does that turn off Masai at all? Uh, like, does he view that as disrespectful at all that they wanted that out there so quickly? Yep. That they wanted the attention on them to take it away from what the Raptors accomplished. Yeah, and by the way, I, I was trying to go where you just went, which was, I wasn't blaming, I don't, I'm not going to lay this on Wojnarowski at all. I think that it just made the, it made the Wizards look bad, I think, just the timing of it um, and the way it came out and them not, them not, even if they're giving Woj's information, like, dude, you got to wait a day or two after the final, like, especially if they win. You can't just drop <laughs> this while he's on the podium talking to Doris Burke, you know, it just, right. it, it, it looks bad. So, all right, but that, now, now there's another diversion. We'll be back next week with more NBA Draft Talk. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.